Hey guys, welcome back. So I've decided I'm going to start calling this Vetsplanation Staff Edition because I feel like if I'm going to do this as part of my other podcast, then I feel like that's going to be a good name for it because I'm still explaining things and this is really more complicated topics that I do for you guys. So I give you more complicated details than I do for the regular public. We're going to start calling it Vetsplanation Staff Edition. Today, we're going to discuss zinc phosphide toxicity in dogs and cats. Really, this can be for any mammal, and dogs and cats are just the ones we most commonly see, but this can be for any species. So rabbits, for little Sarah who's listening to this, or any guinea pigs, those are especially toxic to them because they can't, they can't vomit. And so this makes this toxic even worse for them. But like I said, it could be any mammal species that can be affected by this. Let's start with defining what zinc phosphide is and why it's toxic to dogs or to pets in general. So zinc phosphide, it's a common ingredient found in various rodenticides that's usually used to control rodents. They are most commonly found in the mole baits and gopher baits, but it can be just labeled simply as a rodenticide. And then it's also been found in some insecticides as well. The most common phosphide is going to be zinc phosphide, but there are aluminum and magnesium phosphides that are still available as well. They're usually found on the gray pellet, but it can also be found as powders and grains and pastes as well. When any form of those is ingested by a pet, they can all lead to a severe toxicity. So the lethal dose is actually about 20 to 40 mg per kg. And that's lethal, meaning that it's going to kill them if they got that amount. Versus the two to four mg per kg dose is the lowest toxic dose. So if the pet got into two to four milligrams per kilogram of that zinc phosphide, then that's the lowest dose that would make them sick. That's actually a pretty small amount. They don't need to get into a lot for it to be very toxic. And the other problem with this is there are multiple different concentrations of it. Therefore, any amount that's ingested even if the exact amount isn't known, it should still be considered very toxic. So let's talk about how the phosphides cause toxicity in our dogs. So zinc phosphide, it needs to be in a really acidic environment to cause the toxicity, which is exactly the type of environment our stomach is. So zinc phosphide, that's the one that actually is a very acidic environment. So the pH of under four, which is what our stomach is, it's order to be a an acidic environment, the pH is really low. So under seven is going to be acidic and over seven is going to be basic. There's actually like a little bit narrower of a range, but just for our purposes, that's about what you need to know. And then neutral is about seven. But aluminum and magnesium, they can cause a toxicity in just a neutral environment from seven and under can cause a toxicity. The zinc phosphide itself or any phosphites, they create a phosphine gas, pH3 is the, the molecule, and that is extremely corrosive. So it usually causes the pet to spontaneously vomit, and sometimes they'll vomit with blood in it as well. That, that vomit has a very distinct smell too. If it's described to you as like a decaying fish smell or like garlic, they need to come in immediately, because that is about the smell of what this phosphite toxicity is. That gas is extremely toxic to pets and to humans. So as a receptionist, if you have someone call in stating that their pet has got under rodenticide or specifically mole bait or gopher bait, 
it is really important to tell them to open up all of the windows of the house and keep the windows of the car open while they're driving, turn the air conditioning on. So that way they don't get exposed to it as well. If they're exposed, then they need to go to seek medical attention or at least call the human poison control. So that, that way we can uh, make sure that they're okay as well. And then the pet needs to be brought into the hospital immediately. The phosphide gas, it quickly absorbs into the respiratory system and the GI system. So into the lungs and also into the stomach, small intestines. This is going to be a little more complicated, so I'm going to try to, to break it down as well as I can. It works by reducing the amount of oxygen that's going to reach all the tissues of the body. So not as much oxygen is going to get to the rest of the body, which causes really serious damage to the organs, such as the liver, the kidneys, and the heart. So even though they can breathe in oxygen, it is not getting to the rest of the tissue. So for those of you who like a little more detail on that, so it, technically what it does is it causes an oxidative damage. It disrupts the aerobic respiration, meaning that it stops production of any energy that's produced using oxygen. And that can inactivate things like acetylcholinesterase, which if you remember from before talking about this with myasthenia gravis, that can cause them to be paralyzed. So really what that comes down to is it's just badness. It can cause multiple organ dysfunction um, if it gets too far. So what are some of the clinical signs that the owners might see at home from a pet ingesting this toxin? Some of those Common clinical signs are going to be vomiting and diarrhea, especially with blood knit. So that always makes this hard. How many vomiting diarrhea dogs do we have? Tons of them. How many of them have blood knit? Tons of them. So this is a really good one for all of the triage technicians to ask if there's any way they could have gotten into some sort of rodenticide or insecticide. They'll have abdominal pain, so they'll be really hunched over with pain. They'll be lethargic, ataxic. So if anybody doesn't know what that means, ataxic means wobbliness. They can have tremors, seizures, and then they can also be really tachypnic, so they're breathing really fast because they have pulmonary edema, or essentially they have fluid in their lungs so that they can't breathe. They'll also develop shock, and then they'll have methemoglobinemia, which means that their blood turns brown like chocolate. So like if you held up a, their blood and you held up another dog's blood, regular blood, the regular blood will be very red. But this blood from this dog who got into this phosphide will be chocolate brown. So what should we do if someone suspects that their pet had gotten into zinc phosphide? What steps should they take? Uh, first of all, really important that they come down or seek any sort of veterinary medical attention immediately. For them, time is of the essence. We want to try to get them in immediately. For the receptionist, when the owner calls in, advising them not to feed their pet. People often want to give them bread and milk but that's exactly what this toxin needs. So when we give them bread and milk or any other sort of food that actually lowers the pH of the stomach. And we were just talking before about how the pH needs to be under four. So the more acidic that stomach becomes, the more that toxin is going to, to be released. Because as soon as we feed them, they have all of these chemicals in their stomach that want to break down that food and they break down food by becoming acidic. So do not let them feed them. Then ideally, if they have it at home, Ask them to give calcium carbonate antacids, or basically Tums is what that is. That's actually going to be doing the opposite of what food does. It raises the pH and makes it more basic so that hopefully that toxin can't break down. So ask them to, you know, give Tums if they possibly can, and then bring that pet down immediately. Again, with the windows down in case that dog or pet vomits, 
And then also turning on the AC will help as well. One of the problems with this is that the gas of the phosphide is really dense and so it falls to the ground and air is going to be lighter. So when you turn on just like regular fans and stuff, if it's not on the ground, it's not going to pick up that other air. So you want to have the air going, have the windows down for them. And then tell them to bring in uh, the box or the receipt if possible, because we need to know which one this is exactly. So we know exactly what to do to help them. And also very important that the owner doesn't like just look at a picture and be like, oh, this is the box. Like if possible, we want them to show us the receipt or the box. So we know exactly which one it is. Cause a lot of times people will just guess. And if let's say it's like a Tomcat product, there are six different types of Tomcat products and we're not going to be able to know which one it is. And they are all treated differently. But then they should also call Pet Poison Hotline or ASPCA on their way so that we know exactly what to do and also prior to making them vomit. So for any of the treatment technicians or triage technicians, if somebody says that they got into this, like most of the time we're very nonchalant about like, okay, let's go ahead and make them vomit. But that could be a life or death. So we do not want to make them vomit immediately. We actually want to do other things first, which we're going to talk about next. So don't just bring them in the back and make them vomit. All right. So how are phosphide toxicities treated? So first we have to think about our pre-decontamination care, meaning that we need to do something prior to making them vomit. We want to actually give them an antacid. Ideally, magnesium hydroxide would be a good first one because it works really rapidly to increase that pH and coat the esophagus and make it a more basic environment. I cannot remember 100% if we have magnesium hydroxide. I feel like we did, but I don't remember where it is now that we've moved everything. But I do know that we have aluminum hydroxide. That's the second best one. It doesn't work as quickly, but it does last for longer. We want to give that that first. Next, we need to move them to some well-ventilated area. If this is a dog that got into it, then we want to take them outside to induce vomiting. We also want to do this within the first two hours of ingestion, and they're not showing any other clinical signs. They're not like having difficulty breathing or problems with their heart, things like that. If the pet is a cat, then we have a couple options. One, try to make them vomit and then put them in a carrier and put them outside. That would be the best way to do it. Like still have somebody with them there, obviously, but doing it outside. So that, that way we can just bring the cat back in, put the cat carrier back outside. Or if we need to do it inside, have them in a really well ventilated area. So like in our treatment room, luckily we have a lot of space, but we're going to want to wear masks if possible, like an N95 mask, and then also have fans ready to go. So we can start blowing that air away from us and then throw away that vomit immediately outside. Because again, it's, this is all gas. It's very toxic. It's going to go through even if we have the trash cans in there. So make sure you throw that away immediately. And again, with the fans, if it's if you have fans out, make sure it's not a fan that's like way up here. Because remember, the gas is way down here. So we need the fans to be hitting down below. So it will blow away all of that gas from the bottom of the ground. And then we do usually administer a single dose of activated charcoal with sorbitol. Uh, to try to help absorb some of the toxin, but also to help try to push it out as well. Once they're hospitalized, we start them on IV fluids to flush out their system and then antacids. So things like the aluminum hydroxide we gave before making them vomit. They're on that for about three to five days to keep that stomach and all of the rest of the intestines very basic. Gastroprotectants are going to be things like caraphate, 
pantoprazole, omeprazole, pepsid. They're usually on those for about five to seven days in our clinically normal pets. But if they're actually having showing signs, then they're on it for about 14 to 21 days. Because it's like how long all of this can take effect for. Inocetylcysteine is another one that we'll use because it acts as something called a free radical scavenger. So essentially what that means is it helps decrease that oxidative damage that we were talking about before. So it makes it to where that, that oxygen can hopefully start to get back to the tissue. And then in some cases, some pets will need additional supportive care, such as like oxygen therapy or a medication to control seizures. Now let's talk about some of our diagnostics. Blood work is usually going to be the number one for almost all of them. Usually getting a basic 17, so chemistry and CBC, with coags, so, so we can see if they're coagulating their blood correctly, and also blood gases. Then, depending on what the symptoms are, sometimes we need chest x-rays or thoracic radiographs is going to be the technical name for that, for pets who are having difficulty breathing or breathing really fast. And then if they're having any sort of heart problem, their heart rate is really slow, so bradycardia, or the heart rate's really fast, tachycardia, then we're going to want an ECG for those guys. All right, what is the prognosis? So if the patient is actually clinically normal for 12 hours, then the prognosis is really good. If they seem like they're doing well, let's say they came in the night before and after 12 hours they've been doing fine, we'll just send them home. They don't need to be hospitalized for longer than that. If the pet is affected at first, but it hasn't gotten any worse within about 24 hours, then usually they still have a really good prognosis and we'll usually be able to go home after probably about a day. But it's the ones that have multiple organs that are affected. Those are the ones that are going to have a guarded prognosis because now we have multiple things we have to fix. And they're usually in the hospital for a lot longer and they can be a lot more severe. They have done a study a while ago that showed about 98.5% of them did do well and went home. But I don't know at that point how many of them were euthanized at first. It wasn't a fantastic study like saying how many were euthanized because of other things. So that's just our guess for right now. All right, do they need any rechecks? So this is going to be really important for the ones who are discharging these patients and also for our general practitioners, technicians. They do need a recheck at about three to five days after ingesting the toxin because they need to check the liver values and make sure that those are okay. Because if those are not doing well, then we need to call poison control back and talk to them about it. All right, I know there was a lot on our phosphide toxicities, but I think it's a really important one because... Like I said, this is a really toxic gas, and if we inhale it, it's also really toxic to us as well. So we don't want a situation where we make the pet vomit in the back or in a room, and then suddenly we're inhaling it and we're in the hospital as well. So this is why molbate is so toxic and why it's always important to know exactly which toxin that they have gotten into. And also... We're usually really nonchalant about making them vomit, but this is where one very specifically we do not want to make them vomit immediately. It will be detrimental to them and it will be detrimental to us. All right, so my story for today is not even really my story. It's actually my wife's story, but I still think it's hilarious. So we had our rooster, which I've talked about before. Um, we were trying to decide if we were going to eat him or what we were going to do with him because he was getting really bad. He started becoming very aggressive towards us, which he was usually the one we could pick up, but he was becoming really aggressive. And also he was just overmating the ladies and making them look terrible. And so we decided we were going to either eat him or get rid of him. And I was ready to eat him. I was fine with that. But then she decided not to at the very end. So she had put him on 
Facebook, somebody wanted him and somebody who had five acres and wanted a nicer rooster than their rooster. So my wife decided to give him to, to them and knew that there's still a possibility he might be made into soup. But so she said that she was going to meet this person at a Target parking lot. So she's like, well, what do I do? Do I put him in a carrier? And I was like, no, put him in a box. That way she can just take the box. And you guys don't have to take him out of the box. Just put him in the box. She said, okay. So she put him in a box. She said it was like terrible trying to get him. He had lost a lot of feathers, but she put him in the box finally. And then she brought him to the target. She got there early, hoping that she would be able to help him calm down because he's never been in a car before. Like literally when he was two days old, that was when he was in a car last. So she got there, but the lady had already gotten there. So they didn't have time to let him calm down or anything. And then the lady asked for him to be put into her wire cage. And she was like, I don't know. That's a good idea. I feel like we should keep him in the box. And she's like, no, I really want him in this wire cage. So they discussed how they were going to do it, like how they were going to strategize getting him out of this box and putting him into this cage. It did not go as planned. <laughs> I guess he jumped out at them like a jack-of-the-box, and he was running around the Target parking lot, weaving in and out of cars as they're trying to chase him down. People are, like, staring at them. He almost ran in front of a car, and the the person said that the person in the car was like, is that a chicken? <laughs> and so the two other people came up to them, and they're like, do you need help? And they're like, yes, this. please help us round up this chicken. We're just trying to get him to one spot so we can grab him. So they all surround him and they like move the circle in so that they could catch him. And finally they caught him and they were able to put him into this wire crate. But I could just imagine these, the people in security, like looking at the security cameras and watching these four crazy women chasing this rooster. <laughs> I was like, we, somebody needs to get this security tape. This is amazing. Just watching you guys all running around chasing a chicken. Oh, too funny. Okay, so that was my story. Uh, again, thank you guys for listening to this. If you guys have any questions, please email me, text me, find me in the hallway, whatever you need, and I'll do topics for you. And if you want to be on the podcast, again, let me know. I'm happy to have you on as well. And if you have any questions, again, come grab me. All right. Thank you, guys.